Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, a CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, bringing you the news to know for July 6th. Hope you all had a safe and happy July 4th and practiced your social distancing at the same time. So let's cover the news articles. Again, I usually have six, seven articles on tap. I'll give you some of the highlights, a little commentary, and we will go from there. So the first article comes out of Modern Healthcare, published on June 29th. HHS will renew public health emergency. HHS spokesman Michael Caputo on Monday tweeted that HHS intends to extend the COVID-19 public health emergency that is set to expire on July 25th. This would prolong the emergency designation by another 90 days. Some notable policies that are attached to the public health emergency are the Medicare inpatient 20% add-on payment for COVID-19 patients, increased federal Medicaid matching rates, requirements that insurers cover COVID-19 testing without cost sharing, and waivers for telehealth restrictions. So my gut feeling says that we will continue to see this extended for the next 12 months. Obviously, with record number of COVID cases being reported, it makes sense that the government is going to continue the emergency. It is definitely still an emergency. It's just the hot spots have moved. It's no longer Seattle and New York. Now it sounds like Texas, Houston, and uh, parts of California are heavily involved right now. So for those of you CMIOs in those areas, good luck. Hang on. I know these are very stressful times, but at least you have some relief knowing that the federal government is keeping in place these things and you don't have to kind of pivot very quickly to new models. Next article. This one is from Med City News, came out June 28, 2020. The headline is that Walmart divulges plans for what it puts in quotes, healthcare supercenters. And so over the last few months, maybe over the last year, I think, Walmart has been putting up these healthcare centers and they have four of them in place right now. And these are primary care centers on steroids, it sounds like. They'll offer not only primary care, but also some vision benefits, x-ray, lab, and I believe dental care as well. Really not getting too much into specialty care. The one of the spokesmen here says, eventually we may offer some of these true specialty type services. We're making sure we get the basic services right for the first couple of years, and then we'll add on to that. So what is notable in this article, the prices are, they talk about $20 for children, $40 for adults, uh, and that's for all the services they offer that, oh, behavioral health, I missed that, that was also uh, in the list there. So incredibly cheap, particularly for people who are uninsured or underinsured, their own employees might fall into that category, which is I suspect one of the reasons why Walmart might be doing this is they're trying to figure out how to lower costs for their own employees, yet provide some kind of health benefits for them. The threat of this to your health system is what CMIO should be thinking about is this competition. 
And certainly it is competition. I see them being more collaborators. I just don't see Walmart hiring advanced neurosurgical care. So they're going to rely and have to partner with the large health systems in their region. Primary care, though, I think they could very well be a direct threat to. And our primary care providers are essential for feeding our health systems. And one of the things that Walmart does is it steers patients. They do that now with their own employees. If you need spine surgery, Walmart may very well send you to a center of excellence and not the nearest hospital system. So if you lose control of primary care, you may very well lose control of your referral base for your specialists. So this is something to think about. It's something to watch and you want to be well in advance prepared for how you will compete in the primary care market against multiple different players, but certainly if Walmart were to come to town and they have plenty of cash, so trying to say, well, we'll outmarket them is unlikely to happen. Next article, a quick one here out of Becker's Jackie Drees on July 2nd, less than one third of hospitals are using EHR embedded telehealth tools. Only 31% of hospitals and health systems are using capabilities within their EHR systems to conduct telehealth visits, according to a recent Sage Growth Partners report. And this came out on May 25th. They interviewed 150 respondents. These were executives from hospitals and health systems, and they were describing their virtual healthcare operations and strategies. 48% of respondents said that they were using a third-party software such as Zoom and Skype for telehealth visits. So I'm assuming that Zoom is not integrated into their EHR. For those of us on Epic, we know that we can integrate. There's roughly 14 different vendors that you can integrate into the EHR. So in essence, it's a MyChart visit. This is a portal type visit. And when you click on it, a window pops up for the patient. They happen to be using Zoom or some other vendor in the background. They may not even know who that other vendor is. To them, it's just their normal patient portal experience. But powering that in the background could be a third party, almost is in all cases is a third party app. And many other telehealth vendors do the same. There are some EHRs that have the telehealth vendor built in, but relatively few. Next is an article out of Healthcare IT News, July 2nd, 2020, Howard University and AARP launched pilots addressing diabetes through tech. So exploring solutions, the AARP recently partnered with Howard University College of Medicine to pilot two new programs aimed at addressing diabetes and medication management in people older than 50. The first tool is a facial and voice recognition device manufactured by the artificial intelligence vendor, I think it's Pilo, P-I-L-L-O, that enables video calls to the provider and reminds patients to take their medications. The second program is a digital online health community where patients are paired with other individuals struggling with diabetes. This next quote comes from Michelle Crawford, who's the Associate Dean of Strategy, Outreach and Innovation at Howard. And she says, the real thing we're trying to evaluate in the scenario is peer support groups, whether online only models are more efficacious than in-person education groups, or should they work together in parallel? And then they talk about how there's going to be ongoing uh, developments, more tools that they're going to be putting into place over the course of the next year. My take on this, I think it's awesome that we are seeing more of these probably startup and 
large institution connections that are happening in order to advance some of this technology. We've got to put these tools into the hands of these health systems so that can then get it out into the community. The diabetes space is filled with all kinds of apps, and I have no idea which ones are the best. Obviously interested in your feedback on this. The state of Maryland has recently launched a grant around, hey, what are you gonna do health systems in terms of putting in place diabetes prevention and management? And I'm hearing my colleagues talk about Gluco, Livongo. There are dozens of apps out there that deal with diabetes management and prevention. So I think it'll be an interesting space, but more research that's being done to see which of these are actually effective is really important. That's my take on that article. Next, this one out of EHR Intelligence, major health orgs create a national patient identifier coalition by Christopher Jason, July 1st. Six major healthcare organizations have announced a collaboration aiming to enhance a national patient identifier program and boost patient matching by leveraging Congress for legislation and regulations. This is the American College of Surgeons, the American Health Information Management Association, otherwise known as AMIA, uh, CHIME, the College of Health Information Management Executives, and HIMSS, and Intermountain Healthcare, and Premier Healthcare Alliance banded together to create Patient ID Now. Strong patient matching lowers costs, increases patient safety, improves clinical decision-making, and develops care coordination, the experts say. The group said it's crucial for Congress to repeal a section of the law that prevents the Department of Health and Human Services from working with the House of Representatives to develop a national patient identifier system. There, another quote here, this one is according to the Honman Institute, 35% of denied claims come from inaccurate patient identification or incomplete patient information, which as a result costs the average provider $1.2 million per year. So definitely a financial case to be made for having better patient matching. As a clinician, I think this makes a ton of sense because I really want to be able to share information across healthcare systems easily and having the right patient identifier makes is really important to get that patient matching done right. It's very difficult to do this well. There's a variety of algorithms that people put in place and then a human gets involved to say, are we sure we're matching before we pump lab values into someone else's record? You wanna make sure that you're putting it into the right record and a national patient identifier is key to that. Why is this such a big debate? Well, I guess there's a privacy side to this, I think it's a little bit silly. We already have the patient identifiers. We use cell phone numbers a fair amount, and those are fairly unique. Your social security number is all over the place. It's uh, usually, your social security number would be another patient identifier. I understand the desire not to use that. Maybe that one's used more for financial things, and you've got a health one that's used for these health items. But we need this. We need to do this. And there's legislation out there that actually prevents the government from going to work on this is a problem. That problem has been in place for decades. And it's just a different world these days. We got to move this one forward. So I'm glad to see some of these leading organizations taking that charge. Next, this one's out of MedCity News, July 2nd. The title, it's time to change your healthcare organization's communication strategy. I'll read you a few lines from this article. It's particularly important for primary care providers to remain competitive right now in order to maintain their relationships with their patients. 
Providers are now having to compete against health insurance companies who are marketing online virtual platforms like Teladoc and MD Live, and they're marketing these directly to patients. They have incentives for patients to seek care outside of their normal PCPs. Primary care facilities not only to have a telemedicine system in place, but also to make sure that their patient population is well aware that they're offering virtual visits covered by insurance. The article goes on to recommend that you create alerts on your website or app, such as pop-up or notification bars on the bottom of the screen, just as a way of helping with communication, a way to quickly contact all patients for if you're having closures or change in hours, and be able to provide important pre-appointment instructions and reminders. This is by text, email, or push notifications and then having internal protocols in place for how you will update your social media based upon changes in your services, whether that's Google, Yelp, Facebook, all of those social media sites that will put up your services and mention your hours and all those things need to be updated in real time for you to be effective. It goes on to talk about something called the digital front door. I'll read you a quote the article again, the term digital front door is quickly becoming a healthcare application development buzzword and refers to the consolidation of all of a clinic's patients engagement technologies and web resources into a single web page portal and or app. And a quote from, this is from a vendor, as the utilization of these self-service tools increases, so does the need to consolidate them into a single platform. I'm going to be bringing a guest onto the show. He's a CIO and, and now in the consulting industry that is a a key player here in the digital transformation space. And I'll bring him on the show within the next two weeks, I believe. And he's going to talk to us about what it means to have this digital front door. And I think there are some key reasons why CMIOs need to be involved with this. And I'll just highlight the five reasons that I think it's important. Number one is that when we're launching a new provider, we watch how they ramp up. I do. I want to see their visit volumes. Because if they're having a problem, that very well could be indicating that they have EMR trouble, or it could be that it's a marketing problem. And obviously, I'm not going to fix the marketing part, but if it's an EMR part that I do want to know about. But I work very closely with my marketing colleagues to understand what is the growth rate for a certain doctor, and is it on the trajectory that we thought it should be going based on projections coming from the operational leaders. And number two is if you want to get your existing providers to put their appointments and make them available online. I know the marketing team wants to, but the marketing team cannot go up to the doctors and say, hey, we need you to do this. They're not going to get the same warm, fuzzy response that the CMIO is going to get. The CMIO needs to be involved in this kind of initiative or it will hit resistance. The other thing is getting providers to put virtual visits online as well. That's another thing, particularly for primary care, for them to be competitive marketing can't go up to a primary care doctor saying, hey, we want you to do virtual visits. It really needs to be another doctor. This is a good doctor to doctor kind of conversations. The chief medical officer obviously gets involved in some of these as well. Getting providers to respond to patient messages in the same day is another important feature. So you probably have a portal and your patients are using that portal. And when your providers don't turn around a medical question request for five days, they will no longer use your portal. They may go to a competitor, they may get mad at you, they probably won't come back to that portal. And so as a CMIO, I am involved in helping to monitor this, make sure the dashboards are available to the operational managers so that they can help coach their providers or change the workflows. You're gonna have surgeons that are gonna be in the hospital for a week at a time and they may not check their in-basket to know that they have 
patient messages in there. So what is the cross-covering workflows that are going to be put in place? That's something a CMIO definitely gets involved with. And finally, evaluating the triage tools that are coming onto the market and being put on these websites. Someone with some medical sense has to evaluate these tools for the health system and have the confidence that they are safe and effective. Marketing can't do that. So I'm encouraging you to have a relationship with your marketing team. If you don't already have one, there's great collaboration that can come from the CMIO and the chief marketing officer in your organization. I got one more article, and this one is another one related to the digital front doors out of Fierce Healthcare Industry Voices. Three ways we can cut healthcare costs and make the experience better for patients. So uh, the first thing they recommend is easy online access to the basics, and they're talking about a minimum set of features that includes communicating with the doctor, booking appointments, receiving appointment reminders, seeing your medical records, pay your bills. That's just baseline portal 101. Most of your EMRs will offer this. It's whether or not you have the features turned on. Uh, number two is integrating digital options for patients to self-serve. In particular, I think this one's going to be important with the ability to get price estimates. So if you're going for an elective procedure, let's say it's a knee replacement, you want to know how much it's going to cost. And you don't want to find out that the anesthesiologist was out of network and then you're hit with a $1,000 anesthesia bill. So these patients are going to want to know that and that's going to require some interesting integrations with the payers. And it's going to be required by law for us to have this price transparency. Still not quite sure how that's going to play out in its effectiveness. We have to be able to get at the your health plan data. You got to know how much is left on your deductible to know how much your out-of-pocket cost is going to be. So getting that data into our tools to be able to present to the patients, that's going to be a real interesting dilemma. And finally, they are recommending that you have a CRM that integrates with the EHRs. And I am a strong proponent of this, that you need to understand how your patient is touching your system, what they're interested in, what web pages are they surfing, and then you could help serve to them that important content over the form of pushing digital messages to them helping to understand their communication preferences. Let's not robocall people when they are text message people. Let's not text message people when they don't have SMS features on their phone. They might be good candidates for your robocalling campaign. And then understanding how to integrate that with EHR data, understanding their care gaps, and being able to push to them information that is important in real time. And I'll wrap it up there the news to know for the six. Got some great podcasts coming up. I've got a guest coming from the University of Rochester, who I, I keep hitting that organization because they're doing wonderful things. And so we'll look forward to that. And we'll look forward to uh, a CIO coming on the show uh, talk to us about the digital front door. And I have a guest coming on, a chief medical officer from Spoke Communications, who's going to be talking to us about communications and the tools that CMIOs need to help effective communications across their organization as we rapidly close in on our 100th episode. So thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.